welcome back, Kieran. Here we are again. People have been asking us why we don't do the films anymore, or why we don't do you know reviews of albums or whatever, like we did when we were starting out. And uh, why don't we do that anymore, Kieran? Well, we just got very busy, which was great, and we were getting you know interview after interview, interview after interview after interview, and we decided to um, we we have to run with them when we get them. Yeah. We'll still be doing that. But we decided now we're going to make more time for the movies as well because we well, love people have been asking, uh, especially over Christmas. I got a couple of um, uh, text messages and said, well, what, "What film is doing next?" Obviously, people were you know were, were thinking about where, where we aren't we doing the bleeding films, you know? Yeah. So we had a chat and we were bouncing across a few titles and and uh, kind of a spontaneous. I text Derek and he texts you back, "Enter the Dragon." So it had to be Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon today. So where did you see Enter the like? Obviously, Enter the Dragon, the most famous martial arts movie of all time. The, where did, where the did you hallmark, the hallmark of martial arts movies. This is what the, this raised the bar, and nothing has ever uh, passed. Even it. all the sound. Yeah, well, that's what that, that that was the first movie to do. Well, it, yeah. well, I shouldn't say that. That was the first Western movie to do. That cars had been in the, but they were using the noise of a bamboo hitting a watermelon yeah, for yeah, all yeah. them. It was never done before. It used to be a tud, dum dum. So you know, but they're using that. But it's the high bar. You know, it's it's the, every martial arts movie is judged against this. And nothing will ever surpass it. The first time I seen it, we had it, and I still have the copy on Betamax video. Wow. I think, I think it cost us £150 at the punts at the time to buy it. But that was probably five or six years after it was released in the cinema, probably even longer. It was Betamax. It was a mortgage payment back then, though. No? I know, I know. So I seen it there, but I think we both went to a certain screen in London. Yes, and my first time to see it, 100%. Was uh, in Collins, they're not Collins Town, St. Peter Apostle Senior School in the hall once every once a month, maybe once a month or once a week. Uh, Mr. Brannock, Paul Brannock, the principal, would would allow a film to be shown. And uh, looking back, I had to rewatch the film for this, obviously, just to you know have it refreshed in my brain. How did they show that film to kids? Or maybe it was an edited version, and I don't remember. But I'm sure, so. I'm sure if um. You know, a 13 or 12 year old. No, probably not 12. What have been 10, maybe? Well, wherever, wherever about. Hear the boobs going across. Yeah. Wherever about that. It was like bedlam after it when the film was over. And you had about 30 lads working in Neilstown shops and no tops on trying to batter everybody. Yeah. yeah. You know, the trouble that caused. I, I still remember when when the, the credits were rolling and obviously Bruce, Will, Bruce Willis, Bruce Lee and John Saxon have co headline credit, even though it's a Bruce Lee movie, right? But I think that was part of the, the Western influence. I remember thinking, who is who's Bruce John and Lee Saxon? What the hell's going? On? I, I just you know, and that's the one thing that I remember about that that film. Um, there you go. Yeah, I remember the poster being up in the um in the school in, in the hall in the windows. Always have it in the windows. In the windows, yeah. The second posters, if they still had to be worth a few, Bob. So we get on with the show, and here we go. So, Derek, 1973, Enter the Dragon. Yeah. Directed by Robert Klaus. Written by, what was it written by? Your man, something Alan, wasn't it? Well, it was Paul Heller. Heller, or Paul Heller and Fred Weintraub kind of got the heads together. Yeah. To come up with the whole script. And, but it was, it was a movie made for Bruce Lee. You know, they, they say that starred Bruce Lee, but it was a movie designed around Bruce Lee. So, Fred Weintraub had, had met him, been very impressed with him. And 
you know, he was never is, assumed. Are you going, are you, is this the story about how, you know, I know there's, whether it's true or whether it's not true, that Bruce Lee had the story for the original TV show, Kung Fu. Oh, you're going right back before me. But yeah, well, that's that's a false. I mean, if anybody wants to get the inside story, I'd recommend Fred Weintraub's book, Bruce Lee, Woodstock and Me. It's really great. It was a couple of chapters to the making event of the dragon and his friendship with Bruce Lee. But basically, that script was doing the scenes a long time around Hollywood. And you just couldn't get anybody to fit it. So he had an idea to um, offer it to Bruce Lee and say, you should screen test for this. So Bruce Lee went for the screen test. And you know the way actors turn up and they have, you know, headshots and their resume. He turned up with that plus nunchucks. So he done that and then he got the nunchucks out and he's whipping them around. So the man said, Jesus, who's this fat at the coming in here? So, but they know they not really on screen for him because he'd been in TV, long street, uh, uh, um, the Green Hornet. Green he Hornet. done all these kind of things. I think he was in a couple of episodes. He was Marlo. he was frustrated, wasn't he, with the Green Hornet? He didn't he didn't want to be known as a as a sidekick, as the yeah. Asian sidekick. Yeah, he felt kind of a typecast. But anyway, he, he failed in the audition for Kung Fu, not not based on well, this is what they say, they're not not based on any great racism, but based on the fact that he was too small, too short, and his English wasn't cleared enough for an American audience. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I mean, because many an actor has been dubbed. So I, I, as part of the research for this, I, I did read that the writer of um, Enter the Dragon kind of got pissed off at Bruce Lee. And, you know, Bruce Lee wanted to kind of, um, this this guy knew nothing about martial arts and he he was trying to make it a, you know, a kind of a corny martial arts movie, whereas Bruce Lee wanted to show the beauty of China. And he kept trying to get the, the writer to change things in the script. And he did. He kept adding in words with the letter R because Bruce struggled to say those words all right and there okay. was a big uh to do he got you know uh he got him sent to the hotel wanted him out of china and mm-hmm. yeah well you know he had background in theater his father was an accomplished uh cantonese actor and he was in a lot of roles and plays as a child and then he went to america at 18 but he didn't get um kung fu um distraught and he said to fred weintraub listen i'm not getting an offer to go to hong kong to work for golden harvest he said they're at the offering me 6,000 a film to make these films in Hong Kong. But he deferred to go because he said, look, I'll disappear from view. But Fred Weintraub said to him, no, no, you go and get these films under your belt. This will be your, we can see what you can do then because people can't really see what you can do. Apparently, the odd little scene in the Green Hornet when you're fighting Batman and Robin, all these kind of things. So let's let's get a, let's get a kind of a resume of your fighting skills over in, and build up your profile. So he went um, and he became massive. Like it was huge. He couldn't go anywhere. He had a massive following. Uh, he made... He made uh, the big boss, Fist of Fury, Way of the Dragon, uh, and he started making Game of Death. And then the call came for Blood and Steel, as it was known. Yeah, I was going to just throw in there. What was the original title? Yeah. Enter the Dragon. Yeah. So they had, they had, Fred Winter had been coming up with this script, and now they had Lee. Now they had a resume, they could get the backing. So they needed a half a million to make it. And half a million, that's nothing. That's for the whole film, right? So the actual, the, the it was actually less, it was, sorry, it was a little over half a million, less than a million, $850,000. Yeah. But I, if I'm right, it's gone on to gross like 400 times. I think at last count, it was um, 300 to 400 million. Definitely the most successful martial arts. I don't know, would you consider The Matrix to be a martial arts film? No, no. So as a full-blown martial arts, karate, kung fu film, Enter the Dragon is the most successful. Massive, massive. But it nearly didn't happen again because... Uh, Raymond Chow was the boss and what they needed was for Chow to give them back in as well so they needed him to come on 
Um, but he wouldn't. He, he was playing ball with them, saying, oh, yeah, come to Hong Kong, we'll chat, and he would chat. And the way they'd done it was the film was given out to territories. They needed Raymond Shell to come on board with them um, to make, bring half the money, basically. He was all for it, apparently. To Lee, he was saying he was all for it, but he never wanted to let his prize asset go. Lee was his number one. He knew he was making massive money in Hong Kong with Lee. I mean, Fred Weintraub says that he went for a Japanese meal and he couldn't get into the place. And the crowds outside, it was like Beatlemania, like a rock star. Chow wanted the territory. So he said, they were offering him three. He wanted more and they weren't budging. And then they offered him more, but he still wasn't budging. So he, he, there's no, anything they offered him, he kept on knocking it back. Lee was priceless to him. So they went to arrange the night before they went home. They went arranged to go for a meal in a Japanese restaurant. And Fred Weintraub sitting there, Bruce Lee and Raymond Chow, and they're talking away. And Weintraub says, listen, um, I really love what you're doing over here. And the best to continue to look, you're going to be, you're going to remain to be a big star in uh, Hong Kong and China, but unfortunately not an international star. And Bruce Lee says, what do you mean? And he goes, well, Mr. Shaw won't sign the contract. So Bruce Lee turned and said, sign the contract. I was done that night. Ciao, don't I? Ciao, don't I? Because he knew. But he bought in. Lee became a producer and Chow became a producer. So they both had producing production credits on Enter the Dragon with Weintraub. So they split the costs. And not only was Bruce Lee the, the main star of Enter the Dragon, he also um, choreographed all, every single bit of the fighting in the movie, no? He did. He did. Well, he had a good, there was a good stable of martial arts that he worked with a lot. We'll get to that later on, who would have helped him. But he did like to take all the credit for everything that good that happened in the film. He, Weintraub says he was not as good a director as he liked, thinks he is, or a scriptwriter as well. But the fight scenes, out of this world. But just going back to Kung Fu there, because it was, as it was called at the time, it was called uh, The Way of the Tiger, The Sign of the Dragon. Do you know another actor who was torn down and was going to sue Warner? I do not. Well, you're a Star Trek fan. I thought you may have known it. Uh, Shatner. No, Techie George. Uh, George Techie. George Takei. Takei. Yeah, he 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 was he went for it and didn't get it and cited uh, you know in, uh, discrimination and stuff. And he was going to sue them until he was talked to. Wow. No. No, I di- didn't know that. Yeah, imagine that. That could have been a different role for him altogether. So we should talk about the cast. So obviously Bruce Lee. Um, John Saxon. Yeah. So John Saxon went on to be very famous in the 80s. He was the dad, Nancy's dad in uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street movie. That's correct, yeah. 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 He, he's uh, one of the ones that killed Freddy, wasn't he? He was one of the ones that killed Freddy. Uh, Jim Kelly went on to star Black Samurai, big uh, Black exploitation. Yeah, Black exploitation movies of the 70s. But uh, when, when you watch the film now, when, you, when the film starts, it's uh, the sound is, is off. And uh, from part of the research, I read that the the film was recorded with no sound and all every single line of dialogue was added afterwards. Yeah, a lot of the dialogue had to be dubbed. Uh, Mr. Han, he he couldn't speak a word of English. So what they would do is they would have a one of the one of the crew on the ground saying his lines to him, gentlemen, and go, uh-uh, whatever he could try and say it, and then they would dub it. So that's not even his voice you hear in Enter the Dragon. That's another wow. dubbed voice. So a lot of the voices are overdubbed and changed because obviously they couldn't, they couldn't get a lot of them. But going back, John Saxon was a brown belt in Shotokan Karate. Uh, I think he gave it up for Tai Chi after making Enter the Dragon. Um, him, uh, Jim Kelly, had a dojo in uh, Brooklyn, I think it was somewhere in New York. And do you remember the dojo in the movie? Yeah. What was the logo of the dojo? It was Cobra Kai. So it was an influence there to cover it. That well, was actually his dojo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I read somewhere that he had, I actually had the name written down somewhere of the, there was an actor ready to go. And a couple of days beforehand, he just bottled it. And he said, no, I'm not going. Uh, a black martial artist. Rocky Tarkenton. 
there you go, good man. Yeah, but he said and, it was he said it was black exploitation, but he'd done a lot of them films himself. He wanted more money, but they were all on the same money. They were all on very little. The biggest paid actor in that was uh I think John Saxon. Lee even got less than John Saxon, but he was getting money back in the John Saxon was um a fairly well-known, a very, very handsome man, even though his wig in that movie is just atrocious. <laughs> but we won't come into that. But a handsome man, very stocky, very built, very chiselled. Yeah. Was, uh, I think, you know, he wasn't part of the whole beach blanket bingo, you know, of the 70, 60s. But uh, I think he was in Gidget. I think he was in uh, those yeah. films. Uh, you know, very good actor. And, you know, but if you notice when you're watching the movie, uh, Jim Kelly, Williams, and Bruce Lee have no, no scenes together. Yeah, that would have been a good fight, actually, because... Jim Kelly is probably after Bob Wall. I'd say Jim Kelly is probably the best uh, martial artist in the movie, apart from Bruce Lee. And uh, it would have been a good fight. So let's go back to the very beginning of the movie, right? So the movie starts in China, Bruce Lee in his best pair of his black jocks. Well, I think the the, the, the first thing we see is the, the, the is that, no, sorry, is it is that the site where it goes across the city of Hong Kong, or is the fight forced and the music kicks in? I can't remember. The music what? is forced, I think, right? Yeah, the music well, is forced. Do you know the first that, fight, the first fight. The, no, I was just going to give you a little bit of information there that the, the, the panning around Hong Kong and China showing us the sites around all this area and showing you know the music kicking in. That was filmed because Bruce Lee wouldn't turn up to set. Yeah. He was terrified. Terrified. Yeah. So they had to do something and, and the studios were getting on to them. Where is it, the footage of this guy? It, it, it's mad to think if you think back now that somebody, if you look, even if you look at that film, he's got great screen presence. He would have gone on. I think he would have gone on to have a long, long career. And I think not only as a martial artist, I think eventually he would have gone, had a kind of a, a steady acting, like a proper bona fide acting career I, I believe anyway I yeah. thought his, his screen presence you know you, when he's on the screen yeah like it's an Asian cap when he's on the screen you're watching him yeah that that's it some you know people try to quantify what what it is the you know the the elusive it and Bruce Lee had it yeah and there's this whole mythology around him again we'll get to that later on but yeah, yeah he wouldn't turn up the set Derek he was terrified and when he when he did get the set he got a facial, a tick and a twitch in his eye and he couldn't stop. He was so nervous because this was, to him, this was the big time. This was breaking Hollywood. This was it. Yeah. The um, But the, the, the film, the first fight we see anyway is is Bruce Lee having a, a match in, in his, as I said, his best black black jocks. <laughs> yeah. Fighting a very, well, it wasn't famous then. He was only, a, it, was, it was probably his first film role. But the, the guy he's fighting, who has no words in the movie, went on to be one of the world's greatest martial arts actors. Who is he? Samo, isn't it? Samo Hyung. Samo Hyung. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he was in martial law. That was a big show on, on TV. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do, yeah. Kind of like a spin-off, kind of opposite Walker, Texas Ranger. But uh, that fight, when you look at it, th- that was all filmed out after the film had been done. You wanted to do a little bit more. So they done that scene. So actually, Bruce Lee directed that. Nobody else was yeah, there. 100%. Yeah, he yeah. directed that. But it's, 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 it's MMA, really, when you look at it. Like just locks groundwork. It's well ahead of its time. It's well ahead of its time. There's a lot of in it there. But it's obviously set in the monastery and the monk is there watching, you know, giving his blessing, his sensei. Where did we see that monk next? Go on. So you go on, you got in just before me. I was going you to tell ask me. you. I don't know the actor's name, but I, I do know he was the bad guy at the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. 
That's right. That's right. hundred yeah. percent. He was a bad guy. So, and that's a, he's a good guy in this uh, playing the, the Buddhist monk. Have some tea. Yes, indeed. Ah. This is very pleasant. So, but talk about like you know, architectural stereotypes. The British government come to um, enlist Lee, and I think every I think I read somewhere as well, but watching it, every scene with the British spy, Braithwaite. Yeah, Braithwaite, but he's got a cup of tea in his hand, and even when he gets woke up in the middle of the night, there's a cup on his dresser. Yeah. Bloody hell, you know, we need our tea. Do you remember the lesson? He's given the young lad the lesson there, you know. Yeah. Uh, kick me. Don't concentrate the finger. You lose all that heavenly glory. That young lad went on to be a big director. He directed yeah. Scooby-Doo. Uh, he directed lots of Chinese movies. So, he, yeah, he went on to be a big director. So the whole kind of... The whole input of Chinese movie was put into Edward Dragon, all the crew, the cast. But Breitway himself, actually, he was a, a, a producer for uh, Hong Kong Radio 3. He died uh, three months after Edward the Dragon was made. Really? Yeah. So the, the next main character we meet is Roper. He's playing golf in... in um... It's the dull Roper. you got to break something. Yeah. So do you know who says it? I can't remember his name. Craig Kid referee. Oh, come on, Kieran. Pat, I Pat. Yeah, I'll give it to you, Pat yeah. Johnson. Yeah. I, I, I was watching the movie and I seen him coming out. He had more lines, I think, in <laughs> Enter the Dragon. Than he, I think he was in two of the Credit Kid movies. Yeah. And he, he's still alive. Pat Johnson's still alive. He's very, yeah. very old now. But uh, And Darren Vidal knows him well. We should have known that. Yeah. So, yeah, I was really surprised to see that. But uh, you see Roper doing his, you know, yeah. he, he gives quite, him, quite basic basic crap that he's doing but still just a few jumping kicks and you know and that's how we got it like he, but it's, yeah. he, he had his um, uh, I, won't, I won't call it his audition but his reading for the movie John Saxon came in and started just doing all these mad kicks and back kicks and he gave it to him like that was it there was, there was no you know can you read can you talk can you do a spinning back kick and that was the end of it yeah yeah so it, it kind of introduces all to the three main characters Lee obviously his backstory is the sister and the, the sister was uh, Angela Mao Ying. She quite a famous uh, Cantonese uh, from uh, the opera. She worked on more so. And she gets attacked by a hardest gang. And obviously there's the whole t- scene through the streets where they're chasing her down. Initially, they wanted to show that they rape her, but they cut it out of it because they thought it was too dark. So they left her where she commits suicide with the shards of broken glass. And you see the piece of glass. Yeah. A big look a mirror actually cutting into her. And it's funny, the end of the film, the fight in the Hall of Mirrors. Yeah. But was it something to do with honour, her keeping her honour? Yeah. Yeah. And the guy who played, Bob Wall, who played O'Hara, uh, he thought he looked too nice when he turned up on set. And I don't know if you're watching the interviews, he's a really nice man. He's very docile, very yeah. calm-spoken yeah. gentleman, yeah. But they told him that uh, he looked too nice so he needed to grow a beard because he said bad guys wear beards. So he grew a beard for the role. Stella still wouldn't work. So they got somebody to put the scar down the, the whole length of his face that she gives him. Scarred on the whole end of the face, but a lot of the, that scene where you know one of the guys gets kicked into the water, where um, stuntmen wouldn't do it because it was all rocks and the water was filthy, so they had to talk. And one of the guys said he would do it, and uh, but he went in and he said he was out as quick as he went in because he knew what pollution was in there. Oh, genuine. <laughs> um, so that's have we talked about Jim Kelly? We did, we talked about Jim Kelly, yeah. Jim Kelly obviously gets the role because of uh, due to actors refused, and it was about Bob Wall, Bob Wall recommended him. They came to Bob Wall and said, listen, this guy is looking for more money than you. Do you know? And he goes, look, I know this good, young, good-looking guy. He's really good, a good fire. He'll do it. So Bob Wall was a go-to man. Like Bob Wall was, was in Way of the Dragon as well. He'd, he'd been, he'd done a few Bruce Lee movies and he knew him well. So uh, was I right in saying that there was a kind of rumour mill has emanated over the last 40 years? I'm not saying 50 years almost because the film came out in 1973. 
and he actually injured Bruce Lee on set, Bob Ball. Yeah. Uh, he, Bruce Lee ended up with 12 stitches in his hand because they didn't use breakaway glass. And yeah. there's a scene where he, he, um, Bruce Lee kicks the shit out of him and uh, he, bre- he breaks two bottles together and he attacks Bruce. And Bruce Lee just kept saying, they have to do it 12 times, do it again, do it again. And he actually cut him. And the, the rumor that has, has kind of haunted him, he said, me and Bruce Lee were, were really, really good friends. We were good friends before Enter the Dragon. We were great mates during Enter the Dragon. And uh, he said, yeah, it's kind of haunted him. Well, he blames the director for propelling that story in the myth that Bruce Lee said he was going to kill him. The, the scene was, as you said, there was no rice, you know, the glass ice, you know, when it breaks really easy, it doesn't cut you. They used real bottles. And Jim Kelly says every time, not Jim Kelly, uh, Wall says every time he fell, his crazy was getting ripped to shreds and his back was getting cut because the glass was still on the ground. But Lee wanted, and he was trying to stab him in the pectoral muscles. So he said, I'm going to go harder, harder. So Lee actually miskicked his arm. He was supposed to hit him just below the elbow, but he hit him above in the arm, which pushed it forward. And he kind of forced it into him. But he said, we both apologize. And that was the end of it. But he said, the director, this is the whole myth of this Bruce Lee. The director put out that, oh yeah, he wanted to kill Bob Wall. We had to stop him killing him just to kind of, Bruce Lee was dead. He, what could, he couldn't say anything. And Bob Wall has still, has always said, no, that, that never happened. Never happened. We were friendly before, we were friendly after, as you said. You will not agree with what I'm going to do. It is contrary to all that you have taught me and all that Su Lin believed. I must leave. Please try to find a way to forgive me. So before Lee goes to the island, he goes to visit his, uh, his sister's grave, you know, to say that he's going to honor her and the whole lot. But you see him in a suit. You know, he looks real dabonair, the big sharp, 70 suit, big long collars, sure are flares. Um, this is the first time Bruce Lee had been seen in a suit in a film. Usually he wore the Kung Fu outfit because yeah. he was a country hick in all the Cantonese films now, Big Boss and the Dragon Way, the Dragon. He was the country hick wearing the, the Kung Fu suit. This is the first time they'd showed him in a Western suit. So they were thinking this guy could be, you know, appeal to the mass audience, but also could be kind of a competition for James Bond. And he looked well in the suit and he makes the play and then we go off into Hans Island. Well, the next time, actually, you know, you mentioned it, the next time we see him, he's back wearing the kind of traditional Kung Fu. Um, I, I, I don't even know the name of the, maybe you know. Um, and they're on the boat. So you've got Roper, Kelly, uh, Lee. And you've also got uh, Parsons, who's the Australian guy who, he, he, you know, dickhead. But the actor yeah, the said, fighting without fighting? Yeah. Show me. But he, he just said he, he was a karate. He was a, a karate guy. He was an actor. He was in China trying to get to. He just happened to be there. He just happened to be in Hong Kong trying yeah. to ploy his trade as a, as a working actor. And, and his, his, to this day, I don't know if he, if he actually had any karate expertise, but he said he did. And uh, he did, yeah, he did. I think he done Tong Sudo, but a uh, multi-millionaire. I think he, he he done a lot of inventions. Yeah, really, multi-millionaire. Yeah, he's dead now. He died of cancer, but yeah, multi-millionaire. So they, they all end up on the island, and we meet Han, and he's a he's he's a comic book. He's a comic book villain. His hair is slicked back, and he comes out, and he's got his. In, they're, they're at a party, and they're at a party, and uh, when the door opens, everybody just stops. Yeah. And that you struggled with that scene, Derek, because they were trying to get the, the film in right. And they, like, they did a large cast of um, Chinese set crew and the whole lot. And I think it was Wine Track pumped the idea to have board cages so you could see through the board cages. So you see, this, it's like hundreds of board cages all around. Yeah. And you can see through these board cages. So they work perfectly. But they put boards into them. So overnight, you're filming with boards. The boards got out and there was shit everywhere. The shit all over the set, shit all over the cameras. They had to clean them up. So they got rid of all the boards, only a couple. And you can see through the, 
you see, get to see through the board cage. It's good idea though, because it doesn't block the camera. But the um, when Han comes in, he's got his his harem of girls, and there's a little show of throwing blades and apples into the air. And... But when they all retire for the evening, they get a little knock on the door, and they bring in a line of women. I thought it was very good with uh, Jim Kelly. I'm really tired. I'll just take uh, you, 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 and you. Please understand, if I missed anyone, it's been a big day. I'm a little tired. Oh, of course, Mr. Williams. You must conserve your strength. <laughs> those line of women, those line of women. I know, so there's a backstory there, isn't yeah. there? Well... They wanted authenticity, so Raymond Chow actually hired real prostitutes. So the, the prostitutes in the movie are actually real prostitutes, but they nearly caused a strike because when the stuntmen found out they were on double their wages, they wouldn't work with the movie again, so they had to fix it all up. Really? Really? Yeah. Wow, wow. So is it is it the first night when Lee goes out? And oh, that's saying where Lee refuses. No, no, that would not have happened. No. Bruce Lee was a notorious ladies' man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. He's full. Um, there was like rumor mills uh, abound, wasn't it? Like that he was, uh, he had a couple of girls on the go at the, at the same time. Yeah, well, and when um, the night he was supposed to go for a meeting about the uh, the movie to talk to the script, there was no script, there was no movie. He was in the actress's room, and he died, you know. And he did, he did take uh, medicated medicine. He also took uh, cannabis. He he edited, so do you think he might have done too much of that? So I also read now again. We're 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 harking back. We're taking going away from the film now, and we're going back into the, the mythology of Bruce Lee. But he had his sweat glands removed. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, that's all that mythology. Yeah. Who how can you get sweat glands removed? <laughs> I remember hearing that as well. Yeah, the sweat glands removed. Um, but he was in some physical shape, Kieran. Yeah. Like, I would say, if not zero percent, but very very low percent body fat. Yeah. Like every single sinew, every muscle. And that's as well what attracted you. Your eye, your eye just your eye line was brought directly to him. Chiseled, yeah. You could you mean it wasn't a pick of fascia sign him, it was just totally muscle. But he was as remember uh, Roger Wan was telling us he used to uh, use the tens machines long before tens machines came out. Bolo Young was telling him on a set of a movie that he was using the remember he'd stick these things in the batteries. Well, Roger Wan. Yeah, Roger wanted yeah. to stimulate your muscles, and yeah. so do you reckon that could have been infected or it had an, an impact on this um, heart signal, electricity? So the 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 first, not the first fight, but the night that Bruce Lee or Lee, the character Lee, leaves and goes, he's looking for um, any sort of evidence that he can give the British government. No explanation at all as to why the British government wouldn't send an undercover agent spy from England <laughs> but no they'd go to you know to China to pick this guy are we supposed to think that he had some backstory as a spy as well as that Derek they, I mean Lee says it. why doesn't somebody put out a 45 and bang settle it but they had to make come up with this because if not it wouldn't have been it wouldn't just a war film it wouldn't have been a martial arts movie because somebody were just shooting everybody up so they had to make sure that you know the island was in British territories so the, the guns were outlawed that island was part of the British territory so they couldn't use the guns and also Han had a bad experience with a gun they got the old hand blown off you know yeah, yeah. so the, the next day when we see the sweeping line of the camera coming down and you see all as an army of people doing martial arts or karate they're actually doing karate it looks like they're all wearing wearing the way uh, here, yeah. yeah and what am I right in saying? That wasn't an island at all. 
It was a, I think it was, it was a very posh estate. And if you, if you look closely at the movie, you will see that the white lines around the edge are in fact the tennis courts. They're tennis so that courts. Was, yeah, the tennis courts, they were all marked out for tennis and they used them. So they had to kind of try and cover them up. But those areas marking the, the training areas are actually the tennis courts. So next time you're watching, look out for that. So the first fights we see are, are, are Roper and uh, Parsons. No, it's Jim Kelly and Parsons. Yeah. And Roper and um, Roper and somebody else. I don't know, I can't remember. But I wanted to ask you, so I, you know, I don't know, but you, as a martial arts expert, right, you've dedicated your life to martial arts. When you're watching something like that, I know we've talked about uh, Cobra Kai, and, <laughs> and I, I know your, your take on the martial arts of Cobra Kai, but when you're looking at something like that, what was your take? You obviously rewatched that as a bit of research, yeah? Oh, yeah. Sure. I, I, I just implanted in my brain. I'm watching since I was a kid. So, but I, I always know it's the first thing. The extras are terrible. Watch their punches. And like they're, they're actually, I'd say, very small minority of those extras did actually mar- any martial arts. They're actually terrible. Another thing, you say the way, the way, the way, uh, Christ suits the way is that they, um, initially that was that the good guys wear white, the bad guys wear black. You know, it's very, you know, yeah, or orange. What happened was they were working with a Chinese crew again. So just go back to the start of the movie where Bruce Lee it meets Brightway. He's sitting on a green chair the first day he filmed, okay? The next day he went to the film, wrap up that scene, the chair had changed to red. And they said, what's, what's going on? Oh, we only rented it for one day. So they had to go and find that chair because they'd lose a day of shooting, okay? So they went to find it. So the same thing happened. They were doing a day's filming with the extras. Suits got full of grass, you know, grass stains. Somebody decided to wash all the cry suits. So they turned up a filament and everybody's wearing black cry suits. So Fred, Fred Winter said, look, we can't have this. They're white cry suits. So if you watch closely, as well as the tennis courts, you'll see that all, lots of them are wearing wet cry suits. And you can actually see that they're soaked. Just took them straight out of the washing machine, put them on them. We need to film these scenes. Don't worry about drawing them. They, they did say, Wintrup did say that um, communication, obviously the, you know, the, the, the language barrier, I'm going to say, was a big, big hurdle yeah. to get over because you had Chinese uh, film crews used to work in a certain way. You had a you know a smaller version of the American crew in trying to do it their way. Yeah. But I, he did say that like if anything they wanted was you know put together lickety split, you know. Yeah, as well as like, that, there you had these Cantonese dialects, so it's different regional dialects, and there'd be different Chinese to what they're used to speaking. So that as well added to it. But he said they got it done, and as he said. If they wanted, like some of the some of the statues in the uh, in the Hall of Mirrors, they were created overnight by these guys with just paper, wire, and everything like that. Amazing. Yeah. So actually, the 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 the, the mirror room at the end was an afterthought that they put together on the week, the last week of filming, wasn't it? Yeah. The guys, the producer, had been walking through the restaurant, and they went in and all the mirrors, and he said, "This would be a good idea." Lee wasn't too keen on it, but I think once he started filming, and you're going to get to see more of Bruce Lee because his reflections everywhere. So of course, he's going to love that. We're talking about the you, you mentioned the extras, and seemingly a lot of the extras on Enter the Dragon were actually Chinese gang members and an extra. So, challenged Bruce Lee to a fight. You know, he's a to see if he was really that good, and Bruce Lee kicked the crap out of him. You yeah, I heard that. The work, the he told him, sacked, kicked the crap out when he went straight back to work. Yeah, yeah. he's getting challenged yeah. daily. Yeah. So as part of Bruce Lee's spy mission, he has to find uh, evidence of Han's wrongdoing. 
And he goes out, he's like, a, you know, uh, he had such grace, actually very, very almost uh, ballet-esque movements to him. Yeah. Really, really graceful. And um, But it's the, it's, the, it's the pivotal part of the film where he gets kind of cornered in the underground, he's, you know, and he has the big blowout fight with um, all of the guys and his, his top comes off. But like I, I mentioned his, his screen presence, but his screen presence in that alone, his, you know, his, his hand movements, his eye movements, his, his, you know, his. Well, it's iconic. The, iconic. Because every, iconic. Everybody had photographs of the nunchuck scene and, you know, the handout. But the nunchuck scene, if you watch it, I mean, I watched it again recently, you know, in preparation for doing this. It's unbelievably uh, well choreographed. I mean, he obviously had a massive, massive skill for that. I don't know what the, if, if it's easy to learn how to do nunchuck, but he looked like, he, he, he looked like someone who had been doing it all his life. Oh, yeah. No, he would have been. No, it's, it's hard to master nunchucks. And even Napoleon Dynamite struggled with them. Have you used nunchucks, yeah? No, no, never. We had them growing up because Dad was a big Bruce Lee fan, but I never used them in the club, no. So uh, that's what I was going to ask you is, is would nunchucks back, even back in the 70s, I know the, you know, we should mention actually that in the 80s, nunchucks were banned in England and Ireland. Yeah, so the nunchuck scenes were cut out. And I remember as a kid writing to rank because I'd bought all the, the videos and I should have kept the letter. They wrote back the letter and said, they're, they're really sorry that they had to cut the scenes out but because of the, the, the classifying. I was giving out like, where it is cut and this, this is a, a traditional martial art and the whole lot. And rank actually wrote back to me and said, you know, we had to cut the scenes out due to the whole for all are of our you, video. Are you joking? No, I wrote to them, yeah. They wrote back to me, yeah. That is so you. That is just. <laughs> um, I'm not surprised at that whatsoever. Oh, you should have held on to that. Should have held on to it. Yeah, yeah. That would have been brilliant. Yeah, absolutely yeah. brilliant. But no, genuinely. But the whole, the whole, that whole fight also had a little cameo. But probably, other than Bruce Lee, the biggest martial arts artist actor ever to come out of China worldwide. Never mind anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Jackie Chan gets Jackie Chan. Yeah, and I think he's overall. Probably more accomplished martial artist than Bruce Lee, but just hadn't got that presence. He he was. I, I read something about Jackie years ago when I was a kid. When I was a kid, even reading about him. Remember, we used to get the kind of like the uh, Project A and the uh, uh, the Armor of God, Armor of God One, Armor of God Two. Yeah. yeah. Um, and at the end of all of Jackie Chan films, they would show all of his injuries. That's right. So I got really interested in, it and I started reading up on him. Jackie Chan actually had a horrendous. Um, upbringing he was put into the Peking Opera or the, that Peking Ballet whatever school it was that the kids go in and they would wake them at four o'clock in the morning with cold water and but you know and stretching just stretching all day but what it did give him was this incredible work ethic to never end up back there again I think his, his break into America was the big brawl wasn't it do you remember that the big brawl one of the yeah. roller skates yeah not a great um, movie no, he, he did have a part. He was convinced he was going to make it big. And I know we're not talking about Enter the Dragon now, but we'll get back to it really quickly. He had a part, I think, in Cannonball Run 2 or Cannonball Run 1. He did, yeah. Yeah, and he thought this was going to be it. He thought that this was going to be his big role and it was nothing. And he swore he'd never make a, a Western film again. But the first police story, I think, was, was set in America, wasn't it? Okay. And that was, there you go. Well, yeah, yeah, so Jackie Lee Lee is running a muck downstairs. Uh, you know, he's battling all these guys. And before that, the Cobra, I remember he had the Cobra in the bag and he slapped yeah. it. But he used to have, carry that around set with him and he'd be throwing it at the other actors and throwing it at the director. 
and it bit him, but he had the venom removed. So Yeah, so they were told it was defanged. They were told that the, the fangs were gone out of it. And uh, obviously they weren't because it bit bloody Bruce Lee in the hand, didn't it? Yeah, lifted out the tail as well. So Jim Kelly Williams sees Bruce Lee walking around. A human fly. Uh, some of the best lines yeah, yeah, he has. in the movie. Like the next day, when obviously Bruce Lee attacks some of the um, the guards, Han brings Williams in. And because he knows that Williams was the only guy out, he accuses him of being the guy to beat the shit out of his men. And he goes, yeah, I look at back, Derek. I mean, he's the only black competitor, and he's the one accused of being the and he's the first one killed. Yeah, you know, it's, it's you know, over, but yeah. Han, Han kills him, Han beats the shit out of him. But he's a great line, I think, uh, something like, um, I'd be too busy looking good. <laughs> yeah, so speaking of iconic lines in the movie Enter the Dragon, what's your favorite? Ah, boards don't hit back. Brilliant one. I mean, if you think about it, wall walking, Bob Wall walking out onto the onto the, the the fighting surface to fight Bruce Lee with a piece of wood in his hand. Yeah. I mean, but he gives it to him and he ends You know what I love him. as well about Bob Wall? Uh, the scenes, remember Breakway showing him and Bob Wall has to make the punch and the smashing wood over his hand and he's smashing through the light, the tiles yeah. and everything. It really sets tone. And I, I used to be saying, God, I would like to fight him. But, so there's one scene, I, I think those scenes might have actually been stock footage because there's one scene where someone's getting a four by four and it's not on its, you know, a four by four is on its side, like the planks on its side, but this looks like a stock piece of wood and it hits him in the rib cage. He's, he's he has the punch stance. Yeah, that's right. Hits him in the rib cage. And if you look at it, you can see, you know, the wood almost kind of bending around, you know, little quiver of the wood and you can see his whole body moving. So obviously he was invested in the role enough either A, to do that, or as you said, he, he, he grew the beard, so maybe it was filmed directly for that. I, I was always convinced that was stock footage that they found of him from some competition, you know, because all those guys would have done uh, exhibitions at that, at that time, you know? Yeah, yeah. So as we said, you know, the, the bards don't hit back, but we have to talk about that fight. I mean, this is the ultimate revenge, revenge of the sister, and it's done so well. The hands touching hands, and he's flashing back in the memory, and he's whoosh, punishing him for every deed he's done. Phenomenal. And, and not only that, but O'Hara is... It is O'Hara, isn't it? That's it is O'Hara. And I tell you, do you want the name to be Japanese, to have a Japanese name? And Bob Walt said, no, he's going to be named after my Irish heritage, O'Hara. There you go. I didn't know. Yeah. That. So O'Hara, but is 
other than uh, the famous Bolo Young. I'm not going to say Bolo's uh, Chinese name. I'm not even going to give it a go because his name was Bolo in the movie and I think he used the name he Bolo. He just yeah. kept it for the rest of a uh, very famous actor. Uh, ended up in Bloodsport with, with Van right. Damme. Still great mates of Van Damme in his 70s now, Bolo. Yeah. Uh, he was a brown belt and shot the can as well at the time like the movie. Yeah. But, uh, it, it's, and his physique. It, it's very rare you would see an Asian actor with such big muscular physique. You know, they're usually lean. He had a massive, massive presence. They, 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 he didn't even have to audition, seemingly. He just took off his top and they gave him the role. Seriously. Nobody, nobody in that movie would beat him. Yeah. But O'Hara almost embarrassed Han because he was Han's number one or number two bodyguard. He was one of the main guys. And you could see as O'Hara was losing his cool with with, um, yeah. with Bruce Lee and Lee, that's his name in the film, Lee. Uh, Han was, you know, O'Hara, O'Hara. And... O'Hara obviously just loses his shit. And we, we talked about the, the bottles breaking on him actually injuring Bruce Lee. But Bruce Lee does <laughs> the jump, you know, yeah. the famous... And the face. Oh. And the face. But you don't see it, but you hear it and the crunching. And, so it's all it's, less individual. It's the, yeah. the twist, you know. And he twists it in, yeah, he wraps him up, yeah. And then he turns. And then when he turns, I always thought when I seen it, that he was going out, he's walking to hand to finish him. But he turned and he had intensity in his eyes. And he just walks over and... O'Hara's treachery has disgraced us. <laughs> so the the um the what you call it the uh, the bell you know he he bells right he walks away and so you're you're a martial arts guy you're a karate guy I, I remember because of um the Karate Kid when Daniel bells and Mister Miyagi hits him in the head I always look in the eye we have I, I work for a Japanese company with lots and lots of Japanese colleagues and. I asked them one time about the bound, you know, uh, what about if, if, if I bow and look at you? Oh, no, 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 no. Never look. Why? Because if someone looks at you and they're bound, number one, they're insulting you. And number two, they want to fight you. Yeah, that's actually, that's where you keep my contact. And, and number three, if you cop, if you catch them looking at you, you're almost, um, uh, you're almost bound to give them a clatter because it's the highest form of insult. Yeah. So it's saying that you're trying to keep your eyes in your palm because you're getting ready to fight. So that's, that's why you do it. But uh, yeah. Don't do it in Japan. So oh, don't do it in Japan. <laughs> um, so the, we mentioned the, the big, the big fight, right? With Bruce and and the sticks and the top coming off and the nunchucks. So Bruce actually gets um, he gets captured by Hans people. That sounds like a top of the pops thing, doesn't it? Hans people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they they bring him in out the next day, and they want Roper to kick, to, you know, to to do him in, and Roper won't. Now, in the meantime, previous to that. Han had walked Roper. Why he? Made, some some bits of the film just didn't make any sense at all. When you you know, when you're watching as a kid, you don't you don't think about so you know subtext or or sorry context or subplots. But Han shown Roper his heroin um, setup and all of the slaves. The girls banging the window and it was like it was a bit weird, wasn't it? Because yeah. one girl, it's like she has a t- dummy and she's standing staring, and the girls banging, help me, help me, help me. We're gonna give him guinea pigs or. But when they bring uh, Lee out and ask um, John Saxon to, to kill him, he said, there's just, there are some lines I won't cross. And that's when all hell breaks out. Yeah. We, we have to mention as well that Lee did get a message out the break way on the... Uh, oh, yeah. Did, 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 did. What would you call it again? Maybe a WhatsApp message now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Morse code. The Morse code. Yeah, he got a message and Braithwaite woke up with his teacup beside his bed <laughs> and uh, and off he went. But that, that, that fight, now we come into the fight where I'll tell you what as well surprised me. If you look at the, the guy Han, obviously in his late 50s, early 60s, and 
you know, he's very agile. There's a bit where he runs at a wall and does almost like a parkour jump at some wall when he's running away from Lee, you know? I'd imagine there's a few doubles there, but he did do uh, Kung Fu. He was actually one of the first uh, from his style of Kung Fu to qualify as an instructor, but he had to break in the train because he fought in World War II. Really? Yeah. Wow. But also, yes. before we get to that, Derek, we have to talk about the hand roper for you. I mean, that was a total mismatch. That I, I hate it. Bruce Lee should have fought. But I reckon Bruce Lee didn't want to fight him because it would have been too big of an opponent for Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was only five foot six, I think. So, I mean, these guys would have, Paulo would have just destroyed him. The fight wouldn't have looked good. So they made it with Roper with him, but Roper would have never been him. That's what they had to, you know? Yeah. I did as well read that um, part of getting um, Saxon to, to agree to it was he, Sax, uh, Roper was supposed to die. And he said, no way. That's why they killed off Jim Kelly. He said, I don't care who gets done. It's not me. <laughs> But yeah, we get to the Hall of Mirrors, which is one of the most iconic finales of a movie ever. Well, I would say, so we're, we're of a certain, as, as, as Carol Decker said a few weeks ago, we're of a certain vintage. Yeah. I didn't know whether to take it as an insult or a compliment. I think it was both. Yeah. Um, but I would say anyone of, of our vintage had that poster on the wall. Yeah. Bruce Lee with the blood marks. The even, though, even though Han had four, four knives. Yeah. There's four here. Four in each cheek, but three across the stomach. And uh, the bit even where he gets the blood uh, and he oh, yeah. tastes, tastes the blood. But that whole fight, the mirrors, um, it's just iconic. It's, I mean, it, for a podcast that talks about, you know, pop culture, you, you don't get much more um, of a pop culture icon than Bruce Lee. Yeah, no, phenomenal. And a great end of the film. And just, I think when they walk out of that and then the fight goes on for a while, but there's always going to be just one winner. But when he, he impales him on the spear, boom, side thrust kick. You see the look of shock on his face. He realizes that he's going to kill him. And he's flipping around on the music. See him flipping around on the door. Really well done. And he walks out there and there's bodies everywhere. So the last fight as well, all of the extras, you know, the guys they let out of the um, yeah. out of the, uh, the cages and all of the Han's army. Well, they were all, as I mentioned earlier on, they were all members of uh, rival gangs and rival families of triads. So there was fights between that last fight Seemingly, there's footage of people actually going hell bent for leather, you know. Yeah, see, they kind of went into a territory there that they knew nothing about to make this film and the whole baggage that goes with these different regions and different gangs. So they didn't kind of know what they're letting themselves in for. But uh, yeah, great scene. O'Hara's treachery has disgraced us. So, Derek, we have to mention Anna Carpery, like, I mean, one of the strongest female leads in the movie. She plays a good part. Yeah, actually, the, the actress had gone to her, her agent and said, look, that she was looking to step out of her comfort zone. And he goes, well, something's just come across my desk here. They're looking for a blonde, blue-eyed Western girl uh, to go to Hong Kong now. And she went. And her dad had actually, two weeks before um, filming started, her dad, as a gift, had given her a Super 8 movie of the recording of Enter the Dragon, the filming of Enter the Dragon um, taking Super 8 movies and whenever any scenes that she's in she would hand the Super 8 camera to somebody else so there's a there's a, a multitude of really really good uh, behind the scenes footage and Weintraub and at the time the director were praising her for you know because now they have they have this it's like it's gold dust you know yeah we also have to mention Derek, the soundtrack brilliant uh, so Lalo Schifrin Lalo Schifrin this guy he had done the soundtrack for Mission Impossible you know what they kind of do he done that so he done the soundtrack for Anthony the Dragon really funky great 70s soundtrack the whole soundtrack is really good all the music in between but what happened was while they're waiting for Lee 
you got a few screams of what you put it in run went drop put it into the soundtrack so the composer hears this and flips runs him look how dare you i don't want his screams in the middle of my music get it out there now they wouldn't he grew to love it and now it's iconic so the soundtrack at the time i don't know has sold over half a million copies yeah. of a movie soundtrack yeah well, if you yes. watch the movie, it's part of the soundtrack does good 70s funky music all the way through it. Yeah. It's a really good, good soundtrack. And he was he was on par with uh, Lee for wages. That's where he spent a lot of the money getting him to do the soundtrack. So we should really now talk about the, the myth of Bruce Lee. So uh, 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 there's no spoilers here. If anyone here doesn't know that Bruce Lee is dead. <laughs> I think it's a real now. It's almost yeah, 50 years old. Now, right? uh, he died before the movie was even released. Yeah, he he... he I think it was gone to production and he, he didn't get to see the glory. No, he yeah. didn't get to see the whole. And the he had a family friend, a best friend of his dad's who has a small role in Enter the Dragon. And he used to call him his uncle. And he, he said to him one day, you know, I think you're going to outlive me. And this guy was much older than him. But there was, the, the, you know, the, the, the Eastern um, mythology or that like he was cursed or he had some curse put upon him. And it didn't help with the fact also that his son, Brandon Lee, died a very, very tragic, uh, tragic death, uh, making The Crow, and was on on course to be a very, very successful actor. This was, you know, his first, um, he'd make Big Trouble in Little Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, with Dolph Lundgren, and The Crow was going to be his kind of like his... Uh, his first starring role. And he and, and that added to the mystique and it added to the... To the um, the whole myth, Derek. The, the whole myth. myth and it's a myth about, and like you look at the doors, the myth around Jim Morrison. Yeah. And Ray Manzarek was an awful man for keeping that myth alive. Maybe he's alive. Who knows? That used to really bug me, right? And the same with the whole Lee family now. That there's this whole thing of, you know, that he was, you know, perfect, the best. He was the best martial artist ever. He had charisma. A lot of mar- better martial arts would easily defeat him. He was small in stature. I think the man who does the best is Quentin Tarantino. And he's you know, a good street fighter, a good grappler, a good brawler, like can beat up Bruce Lee. And of course, there's no winner in that fight because it's stopped yeah. before we find out who wins it. And the, the Lee, the Lee family, and the old circle of wagons, and they ran wild on this. Well, I, I, so right, I know where you're coming from, right? But the film was called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, it's a fairy tale. And if you watch, it's a fairy tale. So if anything, you know, they, they, the Lee family, I think, in my opinion, sort of showed a little bit of ignorance there because everything in that film was all, almost the opposite of reality. So in reality, Tarantino was saying Bruce Lee would have kicked the shit out of this guy, you know? Yeah, uh, I think he'd done it well. And as Tarantino said, like, if he had had Cinderella fighting Snow White, there wouldn't have been any, any kind of kick up. But it's the whole legacy that's around Bruce Lee. Of course, I grew up loving Bruce Lee. I mean, my introduction to Bruce Lee was Enter the Dragon. Probably yours too. Before yeah, same, that, I hadn't, yeah. heard of, I hadn't heard of Fist of Fury. I hadn't heard of The Big Boss. I hadn't heard of Way of the Dragon, which was changed to Return of the Dragon after he died. Yeah. To try and think that he'd come back. You know, Rami Joe, we call it Return of the Dragon. Game of Death. Wasn't so mad in Game of Death. One of my, one of my favorites is Fist of Fury, which was called The Big Boss in America. But Fist of Fury is the one where he, event, he fights the Japanese. Remember, he goes to the judo school, kicks yeah. the crap out of them all. That, that's one of my favorites. That's an amazing piece of work. So the Game of Death actually features scenes of Bruce Lee's real funeral. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, made, made a long time after the, the, the events. And then there was also 
extras brought in to look like I think it was a Korean actor brought in to, to play Bruce Lee you don't see back and they use outtakes some of the movies for the facial shots and even some pictures from movies you know so yeah so his his mystique and his uh, infamy has only grown in the last 50 years and does not show any signs of weighing he is a pop culture a pop culture icon he's a legend he I mean he's a bona fide legend right his the, the Bruce Lee estate still earns money every year from uh you know from merchandise and I think his wife uh, Linda Cadwell Lee Linda Lee Cadwell um yeah. manages all that um and two things I'd like to know there though why wasn't Chuck Norris Chuck Norris would have been a great roper because he, he, he'd already filmed a, a movie with Chuck Norris yeah and I was just wondering but he'd already filmed with Bob Wall I, I, I'd always I'd always wondered why I think Chuck, Chuck Norris again fought Bruce Lee very well in Way of the Dragon and I think he would have been just a brilliant roper do you not agree imagine Roper Chuck Norris fighting Bola yeah well maybe Lee just didn't want that around him you know maybe maybe well, Chuck Norris didn't want that uh, you know Lee wanted to be a superstar you know there's, there's no surer thing you know, we we talked earlier earlier about him in in uh, in in Hollywood having bit parts here, and then he got his role on the Green Hornet. With, I'm going to say again, Van Heflin. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, he he didn't he wanted to be a leading man. He his he was teaching uh, martial arts to Steve McQueen to James Coburn. You know, he wanted to be part of that clique. Yeah, uh, you know, he got in. That's how he got in. Like he got friendly with all the producers, and you know he, he had a vision, and you know he, he went for it. And it didn't matter who got born on the way; he was going to get there, and he did. Uh, just unfortunate. I, I wonder what direction he would have took as he got older. It would be interesting to see. Um, I, but he he paved the way. I mean, without him, you wouldn't be looking at Cobra Kai on Netflix. No, without him, I can't imagine kung fu movies would have had the the same impact. The, the Matrix. We mentioned the Matrix earlier on. The Matrix robbed heavily from Bruce Lee. All of the, even the the style, the flick of the nose and, and and the fingers up. That's all Bruce Lee moves, you know. Yeah. What film now did he come back as a ghost and train a young lad to fight? Oh, no retreat, no surrender. No surrender. Good the man. debut of uh, Van Damme. Van Damme. Yeah. yeah well, his you. his first um his first uh, kind of talking role wasn't he? He was a background dancer in Breakdance Two, Electric Boogaloo. There you go. There's the shit you remember. <laughs> Van Damme is a, a good martial artist. Like he gets a bit of stick, but Bloodsport is up there as well. Well, see, Martin. He gets a bit of stick because people think that because he would, again, another very driven guy, wanted to be a movie star, was a ballet dancer, had studied ballet. But Van Damme, again, someone might need to, you know, correct me here, but was a karate champion. He was, yeah. yeah. I don't know what style he did. I think he was quite a young guy. Yeah, Um, Belgium, Belgian uh, karate champion, I think. You know, know, if you look up um, his stats, he he embellishes a lot, you know. and and Really good in blood sport, I loved it. That was a really great movie. Oh, but, but Van Damme, I tell you, here's one for you. I don't know if anyone's listened to this and you're interested. In, uh, Van Damme made a film a couple of years ago called JCVD, Jean-Claude Van Damme, where he goes back to Belgium and it's him playing himself, a kind of a broken down version of himself, which sort of he is sort of like, you know, now. And there's a scene in that film and I watch, I like Van Damme. If, if you know, if I watch a trailer um, and it interests me, I'll watch it. And I seen a trailer for JCVD and I turned it on and it's a Belgian film. And there's a scene in it where he's in a bank and the bank is being robbed. And at one point, they're, oh, it's fucking Van Damme, you know. But Van Damme's sitting on a chair and the chair raises up and it's like it's on a dolly and it's just the camera's focusing on him. And Van, it's Van Damme just talking about his life and he starts crying. 
and it's an amazingly emotional film. It's blown away. Is it a film or a documentary? It's, no, it's a, it's a movie. It's a movie. It's a, it's a movie. But he plays himself. And uh, now I'm probably getting half the scene wrong. It's about 10 years ago. But I remember thinking to myself, whoa, that's emotion. That's Van Damme. That's, that's Van Damme. That's, that's Van Damme fine acting. Yeah. <laughs> um, there there are, I'd say the catch you on this one already. Right. Uh, what, who, what directors made a piss take of Enter the Dragon as an insert into their kind of collage of mini movies? What do you mean? So there's this movie released and it was a kind of a load of scenes put together. It wasn't like a movie and they had a whole scene and it was a ripoff of Enter the Dragon just taking the piss. That's very vague. You're not catching it. No, no. I can't. It, there's a movie out there and it has in it has lots of mini movies. So it's one big movie, but it's like loads of different movies in the movie. Do you know what I'm saying? And one of them is Enter the Dragon and it's just a piss take. You remember, remember the like wow, when he's fighting under the ground? Yeah. Well, there's this guy with a, a loudspeaker just going, wow, oh, wow. Bruce Lee runs by him. History of the World? No, Kentucky Fried movie. Oh, no, I don't remember that at all. Don't remember I, that? I've, no, I've seen it. I know I've seen it. But Zucker, no, I, uh, the, the guys in my airplane. The, yeah. Jim yeah, Zucker, uh, James Zucker. Watch that. Just for I, I watched it just for it's a, it's a it's a whole load of but you have a load of American actors in it, whole load of shorts. Remember, she goes to uh, you know the singer Stephen. Uh, what was his name? Something's telling me it might be you. Not that oh. guy, El Tutsi. Stephen Bishop. Bishop. Stephen Bishop. Right? <laughs> Stephen Bishop. He he's in it, and everyone goes, "Hey, real, you know, Chris, show me your nuts." And he goes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, uh, in the years preceding like, there was um, biographies made of Bruce Lee uh, the dragon Jason Scott Lee um, was it their dragon or dragon I think it was dragon the yeah, story of Bruce dragon. Lee dragon yeah and he you know he, he got himself fairly fit for it. he's a good actor still acting he was in a, he was in Mulan um, but I, I think they should just leave Bruce Lee well enough alone that's what yeah, I and he wouldn't let Fred Weintraub play himself in the movie because he said he kept on uh, mixed up his dialogue. So who did he get to play him? Oh God, I don't know. Robert Wagner. Did he? Yeah. I like Robert Wagner. And he was, on the Robert... Set, he, he was on set telling him his lines, but he just couldn't say them. So he was feeding him his lines. Yeah. So that's End of the Dragon. I hope you liked it. Like yeah. It. So that's the first movie we've done. We're going to be knocking out a few films over the course of the year. Um, if you've got any suggestions for films, sometimes we'd be getting stumped. We'd be WhatsApping each other names and title, but both of us, Jumped on Enter the Dragon, uh, a fair and favourite from both of our lives, most certainly Kieran's. But yeah, um, and remember, don't concentrate on the finger, or you'll miss all that heavenly glory. I see your talents have gone beyond the mere physical level. Your skills are now at the point of spiritual insight. I have several questions. What is the highest technique you hope to achieve? To have no technique. Very good. What are your thoughts when facing an opponent? There is no opponent. And why is that? Because the word I does not exist. A good martial artist does not become tense but ready. Not thinking yet, not dreaming. Ready for whatever may come. When the opponent expands, I contract. And when he contracts, I expand. And when there is an opportunity, I do not hit. It hits all by itself. <laughs>